Marvin, I really enjoyed that broadcast with uh, Daryl. It was beautiful. Uh, the only problem I had was the volume for his voice was down kind of low, and I, it was hard to hear. Um, it just sounded like a just a uh, a low a low mic on his side or something. But the content was just awesome, and uh, I love what you did with the. Um, intro love what you did with the ending keep it up every, every time you do it it gets better and better you hit a home run hey you can't touch up can't you hit marvin's own Hello, listeners. As I look at my data, it appears that you are not only from Detroit, but from places near and far. My name is Marvin Franklin, and welcome to Say It Loud. I would like to begin with a moment to simply say that I truly appreciate you taking time out of your precious day to listen. There are a wide variety of things that you could be doing, but you selected this podcast, and that means the world to me. My goal is to bring quality and unique content that is relevant to your life with engaging and intelligent guests. Thus far, there have been quite a few people to listen and support, but I would love to have even more. I honestly believe that the content can be beneficial to you and many, many more. With that, I am simply asking you to please like, follow, or subscribe. It depends on the platform that you have decided to listen on. I created Say It Loud on Anchor, and the platform allows you to follow as well as leave a voice message and even donate. A good deed always is a nice note and five stars. Each comment, like, follow, and subscription increases the chance that someone else is inspired by the message, and it's totally free and I am thanking you in advance. All donations go to a scholarship fund at River Rouge High School in my mother's name, Beverly King Franklin. She was a teacher there for many years. The recipients are required to write a paper on various subjects, and they have also chosen to go to a historically black college university. I love and I miss you, Ma. Go Breads! Kentucky State in the house. Today's guest is going to talk with us about the current health pandemic, the coronavirus. As I am doing a lot more reading lately, I understand that we are dealing with about four pandemics concurrently. Number one is COVID. Two, climate change, storms and wildfires. Three, anti-black racism. And four, an upcoming economic crisis. Now, we've had a chance to talk about the anti-black racism on 846 with Jolisa Beavers. Today, we're going to speak with 
uh, Dr. Wash about COVID. And we also talked to uh, Crystal Gunn about the economic crises. And during this time, it's really important for us to make sure that we're supporting small business and preferably a, a black business, if at all possible. Right now, the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, recently issued a gatherings and face mask order. The numbers for active cases and deaths have increased significantly, but Donald Trump has really made an attempt to downplay the pandemic by falsely claiming in his rallies that we were rounding the corner. My special guest today is a medical physician in the city of Detroit. He is also my best friend, so I guess that makes him essential. David K. Wash, MD, FAAFP, is a board-certified physician of family medicine with secondary specialization in emergency medicine. Dr. Wash received his bachelor's uh, in biological sciences from Wayne State University in the city of Detroit, as well as his medical degree from Wayne State Medical School. He completed his first year of residency at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio, and completed his training at Flower Hospital in Toledo, where he served as the chief resident post-residency in his first year of residency at Wright State University in Dayton, Ohio. He completed his training at Flower Hospital in Toledo, where he served as the chief resident post-residency to watch his medical career began at Virginia Park Center and Thea Bowman Medical Center. In 2004, Dr. Wash co-founded the Barbara Ann Center for Family Medicine, named in honor of his mother, who lost her battle with breast cancer two years prior to that. Dr. Wash has given a presentation on the end-of-life care and decision-making, as well as several talks on men's health, and the role of significant others. He has written many articles for newspapers and community publications. Dr. Wash is a strong advocate for preventative medicine and strives to keep his patients educated, informed, and proactive when it comes to their health. He's also the uh, proud winner of a Men of Excellence Award. Dr. Wash also resides in the city of Detroit. That's a mouthful. How you doing today, Dr. Wash? Man, I'm doing real well, my friend. And let me tell you right now, that is one secular uh, introduction, man. I wasn't expecting all of that, but, man, that sounds like a very um, enlightened individual there. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it to me, too. Now, we've got a... a yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now with uh, with COVID and, and those other things, those other pandemics that I talked about, the anti-black yeah. racism, and uh, we've got those fires and, and storms going on. It's crazy out there. It's crazy. But what I wanted, what I wanted to do is talk to you a little bit about, I, I really want you to, to give my listeners today a real good sense of What's between fact and fiction, I want to dispel some of the myths that they may have heard about the coronavirus. Uh, and I'm going to try to ask some questions that I, I have listed out, but I, I might go in some other directions as I see that you're, you're answering the questions. The, the first thing I want to ask you is, I know we're getting ready to begin this holiday season. We've got Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's uh, coming up. 
and people are want they want to get together and from from your perspective as a, as a doctor what's your best advice about something like that well you know what uh, Marvin and I, and I thank you for having me here on your podcast man I think this is a great thing that you're providing for the community but let me first begin by just saying something with regards to the COVID um, pandemic. The number one myth that a lot of people are having right now is that we're uh, we're rounding the curve. You know, we're almost towards the end. But I want to tell everybody that is just so contrary to what is actually going on. You know, we right now are at a worse stage than we were back in March. It is so far worse of a condition than it is six, seven, eight, nine months ago. You know, if you look on the um, news and they they actually give you all these stats and these statistics and they show you these graphs and these graphs look like it's like a little roller coaster going up and down and they always talk about something that says we need to flatten the curve. If we're able to flatten the curve, what we're able to do is decrease the rate of infection especially in the city of Detroit. But to our knowledge, we have not flattened the curve. It has exponentially has risen high. And I mean very high to the fact that it's starting to stress our, our hospital system. You know, I mean, we also, we, we also look at the fact that it's starting to affect our black, popula- our black population disproportionately, you know, because we have a lot of other comorbid um, conditions. And, uh, and like I said before, if you look, uh, if you, you start looking back in March, and then you can just kind of see over the past seven to eight months how there was just a steady rise. And then around September, there was this takeoff. And although you got some graphs that show we're starting to flatten out, no, we're, we're just rising. And over the last week, we've just been steadily increasing. And it is, it, it is, it is definitely a pandemic. It is definitely a health crisis, and this is a very serious matter. And, you know, Mom, we, we talk a lot about a whole bunch of different things as it relates to crises amongst African Americans and health issues. Let me tell you, this is the number one health issue at this time. This, in the United States, it is now the third leading cause of death among America in general. And that's over the last seven months. I don't think I just don't think people are taking this serious. I I totally agree with you. I'm you know as I go out and in the neighborhoods and I see, well, one thing that is kind of scared me is like we've just politicized wearing the mask. When I say we, I, I don't mean we, but I I'm just saying all together that wearing a mask has been politicized, and I definitely see certain. Uh, groups of population more than others so it's you know there's not a I haven't taken stats on it but it just seems like there are some others that tend to not believe that it's that important and in my world I'm seeing schools they're starting to close I I know that uh, uh, the governor is uh, closing all high schools and I know she's going to get a lot of pushback about the closing of businesses and I, I know that there have been a lot of restaurants that have gone out of out of business because of this uh, coronavirus but 
as we also talk about, like you, you said, it's the number one cause of, of death for, especially for African Americans. So I, I know you're going to say some of the things, and, and I want to, I want to go back. Third leading cause. All right. So I want to go back to to my question. So Thanksgiving is in a couple of weeks. Christmas is coming. I mean, and these are times when kids come back from college, families get together. I I, I want to know what's your best advice. Should should they not do it at all? Should they just really start to do some some zooms? Or I, I know we've you know talked about uh, the, the football games. I I ended up going to the football game just this past weekend. Mm-hmm. But uh, and I know there are many people who who decided not to go, and they do take a lot of precautions when you when you get out there. But it it feels feels weird when you go because I haven't been anywhere in in uh, about eight months. But but getting back to that, the Thanksgiving and stuff. So what should they do? I mean, this, that is that's a loaded question on a lot of things. Let me just first say this: I'm not going to be able to tell people not to see their relatives. But what I can do, if they're not in your household, if they do not live in your household, I recommend that you do not have anybody outside of your household coming into your house, period, for the next three to four weeks. I know for myself, it's, you know, you know, it's going to be me and my daughter, and I don't I don't plan on having any visitors. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I preface this to say, man... Um, I've been practicing this social distancing with my, my, my father since March. I have not been inside his home since March because of, the, because of this pandemic. And it's not because that I'm scared to get something from him. He is considered high risk, mm-hmm. senior population. Mm-hmm. You know, he's relatively healthy. But, you know, getting this uh, corona... Is just devastating to our elderly population if they uh, succumb to or if they're infected with it. Yeah, I... So I don't even want to have any regret saying I should have, would have, I could have done this. You know, so I just decide right now to just bite the bullet and just not go over there. Yeah. And, and just communicate as much as I can by Zoom, by telephone. If I do go over there, I'm outside. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the door that's in between us. Mm-hmm. You know, and pretty much in the summertime when it was a lot nicer, we were able to social distance very, very good. You know, he has a large backyard. We were able to sit more than six feet away and able to have a very good uh, visit. However, during that time, I still didn't go into his house. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, as individuals, we need to start taking some uh, personal responsibility and just start kind of abide by these simple rules because right now, you know, we have the tools right at our hands to control this the best way we can. Now, I know you hear out in the media and in the news that there's this vaccine that's coming around the corner. I sure hope that it is safe, but you got to believe something, guys. And I just want to let you guys, for any new vaccine that comes out into the market, before we even get to the point where we start vaccinating the general population, that takes almost 10 years. And that means from the the study, the abstract, to the testing, to the double-blind testing, to the safety protocols, 
on animals that mimic human immune systems. Then they actually go into testing for humans. And you have to get volunteers. And there's a lot of things in, that can happen along the way. You know, one, does it work? Does the vaccine work? Two, is it safe? And then three, how long does it last? So when you so when you're trying to do this, when you're trying to condense ten years of this study within this one year, so they have a lot of computer age models that are helping them with this. But the great thing about it is that they've been studying the coronavirus for such a long time, so they have a lot of studies that they've added to it. But when it comes to the specific vaccine, you know, these are things that are being pushed. Now, I, I'm hoping that we are getting to the point where it is going to be definitely safe because it's at a point we need to we need to have something done right now. I know that thing I, I also wanted to say about that is there are also side effects, I'm pretty sure, to the vaccine. There are side effects to everything else that we see on, you know, as medicine is concerned. Absolutely. And that's got to be something that's and, scary, and too. number is that number then extrapolated from those 10 who did contract it who who they may be exposed to and right. is, is is that the is that the math that you're you're talking about well yeah but i'm, I'm, I'm and i'm gonna get into that but what i'm actually saying is that in terms of infection rate and how the science community and view that percentage as being important mm-hmm. something that's 10 percent it may you like wow it's 10 percent but Okay, so all right, Dave. So, uh, Doctor Wash, on this call, we we we're best friends, but on this we, on this call, we're gonna try to keep this as professional as possible. So, with all of that mentioned, I'm I'm gonna just jump right on in because this is what I think people want to know. I just heard Donald Trump say a few weeks ago that doctors were inflating the COVID deaths 
for profits. What what do you say about that? You want to know what I really want to say? Yes, go ahead and say it. Man, that's a bunch of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Okay? There's no doctor out there that's risking their lives, that's on the front line, mm-hmm. treating each and every patient that comes into that ER. Not just patients that are infected with the coronavirus. You talk about patients who have congestive heart failure. Patients who have COPD, patients who have uncontrolled diabetes, patients who have have had a heart attack, all the all the pre-COVID emergency visits, on top of this COVID-related visit, we're still treating. So you you're thinking that we're getting extra money just to say that this person had a COVID-related death? Come on, it, it just does not make sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, start getting into this uh, conspiracy theory, and people are starting to attach to it, and it is it's just not true. So, uh, the, in the video that I saw, he was saying that it was in other countries, like you mentioned. There's some people who might come in who are sick; they have congestive heart failure, but they catch COVID. And then they die of COVID. Um, and in the U.S., we are marking it down in our data system as a COVID death. Whereas in another country, they are saying that it was congestive heart failure instead. And so he was saying that that was an error on the way that we record deaths here in America. And so my thought and I just want you to tell me if, how I should be thinking about this. My thought was, okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, my thought was, if, so if they had congestive heart failure and they got COVID and they died of COVID, then that means that the COVID circumvented, well, not circumvented, didn't go around it. You're still going to have congestive heart failure, but it expedited your death. Whereas there are some other things that you could could do to maintain life with congestive heart failure you know that was just my thought i i'm not nearly smart enough to to dissect all of that what 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 do you say about that well first of all he's he's conflating two different issues Mm -hmm. okay and he's getting confusing he doesn't have the science background to actually understand what it what is meant so let me give you a case You, you 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 talk about congestive heart failure all right Congestion heart failure is not a disease process itself. It's always due to something. Mm-hmm. Congestion heart failure due to cardiomyopathy caused by a heart attack. Congestive heart failure secondary to chronic hypertension. You know, mm-hmm. congestive heart failure secondary to infection of COVID. The COVID virus, you get an infection, right? Anytime you get any time you get any type of infection or bacteria, what your body is going to do, it's going to work its hardest to try to get rid of it. But what it has to do is pump new blood everywhere to help heal the antigens, antibiotics, antiviral, and it's pumping all of that. It is working overtime to get rid of that virus. Mm-hmm. And so what happened with congestive heart failure, your heart cannot keep up with the demands of the body. Now, before COVID even starts, some people have congestive heart failure that is so bad 
keep up with the normal demands of the body, such as getting up, going to the bathroom, sitting down, and eating. Mm-hmm. So they can't take a couple of steps. So that's bad. But top that on top of the fact that you get infected with COVID. So what happened is, while your body has to still fight off, you know, this virus that's introduced itself and is beating real fast, also it has to deal with the regular demands of your body. Mm-hmm. So it's a double whammy. So you cannot say it's very right that is we, we have to be as specific as we can as, as how a person's physical condition is. I just can't say congestive heart failure. I always got to say what it was the cause. Congestive heart failure, stage four myopia, acute exacerbation of congestive heart failure, secondary to, you know, fluid overload. What was that fluid overload due to? It was due to an infection. Your heart was trying to uh, get rid of it, and it just couldn't keep up with it, so it just shut down. So he is trying to take, he's, he's trying to take two different things and, co- and, and conflate it to the, to the fact to try to fit his narrative. We do not purposely go out and just say, oh, we're going to call this congestive heart failure and we're going to get paid more. You know what? That's just not how we are. That's not how uh, most physicians are operating. And let me tell you this right now. Unlike ourselves, if I wanted to be a doctor just to make money, listen to me. I can do a whole hell of a lot of other things to make money. It's a passion to help people. People got in it because they wanted to help people. It never was about the money. And if there are those small individuals who are doing medicine because of the money, mm-hmm. guess what? They will not be doing it for very long. Yes, I, I agree. So I, I got one more thing about about him, and then I, I'm going to leave him alone because he just, you know, he's only got 65 days to go. But I want you to help me to understand what, if anything, he he means by we're rounding the corner. When I look at all of those data sheets, I'm not a doctor, but I'm looking at the data sheets. I, I'm an ed a consultant. So I'm looking at the numbers from a, a school's point of view and, you know, from teachers and uh, and why we should or should not be in school. And I'm looking at the same charts that, that you see. I see there are two really, really comprehensive websites for anybody who's listening who wants to know more. But uh, Michigan.gov has uh, slash coronavirus. They have a real comprehensive data sheet on everything that's going on in the state of Michigan and uh, DetroitMichigan.gov also has the specific things going on in the city of Detroit like that it it tells a lot of stuff anything that you want to know about COVID about um, relief they've got financial relief they've got hotel room donations they've got food assistance they've got water restorations Uh, you can uh, get your water going for $25 a month, you know, so they've got a lot of stuff right at your fingertips. But like I said before, Donald Trump says that we're rounding the corner. What is he seeing that I'm not seeing? Well, let me ask you this. Let me, let me put it this way. Okay. He's been talking about rounding the curve for how long? It's been a while. Okay. So 
around the curve and you keep rounding, guess what happens? You're going to make a complete circle. True so statement. You've been nowhere. <laughs> yeah. So all he's doing is talking in circles. Yeah. We're rounding the curve. We're rounding the curve. Keep rounding in a circle. That means he's not talking about anything. Yeah, so he's just trying to provide some he's sort of... Not, first of all, he, first of all, and, 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 and I'm so frustrated because this is not nothing that anybody knows. He does not take the time to actually read. Mm-hmm. What he wants to do is get little nuggets of something that's going to fit in his, into his narrative, and then he just kind of come up with his own ideology in terms of how in his own interpretation how it is and want people to know because he's president he knows better yeah this is this is, this is not he, he is not a scientist you know there's nowhere in the world i would go into thinking that i would go into politics and being able to talk about different things or politics or world leaders if i have not studied upon it I'm always going to rely on the expert. That's what makes a great leader. You sit back, you open your mind, you rely on the science from your expert. Yeah, you know, yeah he's saying he Fauci doesn't that. know what he, he's saying. Fauci doesn't know what he's talking about. He's trying to, um, he's trying to uh, institute or he's trying to infuse politics into science. Mm-hmm. And one thing about science is not based on politics. You can't talk your way in and out of something and make it sound good. The science is what it is. We have objective findings. There is hardly any type of bias when it comes to the facts. What it is. Color blue is blue. It's not red. You can you can you can have arguments and you can you can politicize the fact that oh this is not really a deep blue, this is not really that blue. But guess what? It is blue. It's blue. So I, I got a quick right question. Now, what we have is we have a pandemic in which people are dying. It is getting to the point where I'm starting to see people that I knew. I'm starting to see people who didn't have COVID but who had other who had other serious emergency during this pandemic couldn't go because they were so over inundated at the hospital with COVID individuals that they tell the EMTs to work them up in the field. People don't realize how much a trickle-down effect that this pandemic is having on people who have regular or uh, pre-COVID medical problems. So you mentioned earlier about uh, the coronavirus hitting minority communities a little bit harder than others. Uh, it looks like it's hitting everybody right now. When I look at the yeah. the map, yeah. Let me let me kind of put this in focus. It's hitting everybody, but as with anything, when you already have a community whose health is always at risk because of lack of access, lack of care, uh, uh, socioeconomic poverty, and this situation all around is not ideal, then any type of disease process is going to affect that population the greatest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I say it's, it's affecting us disproportionately, it is affecting us as is all other health diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, heart disease, you know, stroke, 
you know, the infant mortality rate, you know, postpartum death, you know, all of those affect the black community. But if you look at this pandemic in terms of is related to COVID, it's affecting everybody, but then it's still hitting us just as hard. So with all of those health issues that you just said and, and gyms, I know they reopened and I know there's a, something that we haven't talked about at all is mental health with depression. So what, give me some, give the listeners some ideas of some things that they, or some resources, some places that they can reach out to, maybe free. I'm not sure of what you should be doing for exercise, you know, or mental health. Where can I go to, to deal with uh, some depression with, uh, you have anything like that? Well, I'm going to tell you this right now. One of the things in this COVID, you got to try to, everybody's got to have some type of form of interaction with someone else. And like I say, you know, those people who have access to um, computers, they got Zoom, Google Meet, chat, all these social media definitely is a help. The phone call, you know, people love being able to see their family members on videos, you know, so those are helpful things. As it relates to exercise, you know, sometimes running in place, stationary bikes, anything or taking walks. I know right now it's getting kind of cold, but if you can stand the weather, taking the walk, what you want to do is you want to try to um, increase some of those endorphins, those natural body endorphins, which is a hormone that's released when we uh, exercise. And it's called like a feel good. It's like, and when I tell people, what do that mean by endorphins? Say, for instance, you on this um, treadmill and you're running, you're like, oh, man, I'm tired. You know I should stop, but, man, I'm going to just go a little bit further. You know, those, that's that endorphin kick in. And that, that plays a lot. Uh, what they can do supplement-wise, make sure you eat a, a bunch of fruits and vegetables. Make sure you get plenty of sleep. Melatonin. You know, some people want to put uh, fluorescent lights in their room to help with sunshine. You know, these things all what we do to add towards decrease the people who are at risk for um, depression. And it's usually in the wintertime, right around January and February, that we tend to have an increase in diagnosis of depression because we don't have the sunlight, which gives us melatonin and, and whatnot, and vitamin D, those, those feel-good things. You know, so we need sunlight. So we got to do things that's going to trigger our inner um, endorphins, melatonin, and all these other different types of hormones within us to help us get through that period until we can get on the out, so we can get outside. But, Mom, let me, uh, if, if you would just kind of uh, let me go back to something else I wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. We talk about these vaccines, and everybody is hoping that this vaccine is going to be the, the shot in the arm that we need, no pun intended. But you got to think about it. Even if we get this out, there's going to take some time. There's two doses that need in between these uh, vaccinations. And then it's going to take some time after that until we start seeing a decrease. But we have the number one thing right now that we can do, and that is wearing a mask. Social distancing meaning being six from one another, washing your hands 20 seconds. You know, these are the things that we can do now and they do not cost a lot of money. And, and, and I point to the fact that if you look at other countries that have done this, mm -hmm. we have one of the 
one of the highest rates, mm-hmm. infect, infection rates in the world, third world. And we are the United States of America. We should be the leading. We should be leading the charge on social distancing and measure. We should be the poster child. But we're not because what we have done, we have politicized this whole pandemic thing to make it think that somehow we're violating our God-given right to do whatever we want to do, and that's not wearing a mask. And it's totally wrong. It's, it's just totally off. And it doesn't click to individuals until their family become affected with it. Man, we got to change our thinking on that. You know, Dave, you bring up some great points. The one thing... That uh, when you were talking, that just kept shot in my mind was I'm sure people had the same ideas about. I mean, probably at a different clip though. When they asked everybody, it was mandatory to wear a safety belt in your car. God given right. I don't need to wear a safety belt. And we know that. And like I said, I'm not comparing apples to apples, but it is a safety. Uh, precaution measure that uh, we took in vehicles and it saved hundreds of thousands of lives wearing a mask i'm sorry when you want to go in the store i've seen uh down south uh places that say no shirt no sorry no shirt no service the same thing should apply for right now i totally agree that some of the easiest things that you can do is just Put on a mask and the mask is not really, as far as I'm concerned, it's not always all about me. It's about protecting the other people. And I would just be, if I found out that I was, because I was being careless and I got someone sick and that person who I got sick, someone could have died from that or even gone to the hospital or or anything like that. It would tear me apart. And that's just the human element to me. I think we've got to become more uh, more humanistic in that regard. We cannot politicize it. You're absolutely right. I, I, I don't want to steal that from you. You're the expert, but I, I, it just made me think about that for a minute. Like, my goodness, I don't know why it's so hard. Yeah, at first it's a little hard to breathe, but I, I'll deal with a little hard to breathe than, than not being able to live. I've now... I do have a question. So I've seen on social media from uh, right-wing supporters that say that wearing a mask restricts the amount of oxygen that you get, and that's that's an issue. Can you say something to that? No, it does not restrict the amount of oxygen that you uh, take in. The molecules are very much... They are very small, and they're able to to get through the uh, fibers, the fibers of the mask, in order to provide you with oxygen to live. Because if it did, you have a lot of people that would be passing out, and that's just not happening. Okay. I'm sorry. I was going to say, well, tell me about some of the common myths that, that you've heard, and can you just dispel some of them? Well, I mean, you know, one of the things is, is that the, the one kind of thing that this coronavirus is a hope is being made up, you know, and that it's, it's not true. And, you know, we hear this from some of the, the far right, you know, and they're spewing a narrative that is so uh, contradictory and it's just causing an issue with how we uh, are approaching 
this pandemic in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, when you put a mask on, we need to look at that mask as saying being apolitical. That mask has no political affiliation. I it agree. doesn't care if you're Republican. It doesn't care if you're Democrat. No. You know, that mask is going to keep you safe. And, you know, you, and I know you mentioned earlier that you worried about other people, but the CDC has, just, has came out maybe about a week ago and has state that uh, some studies have shown that it protects you as well. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, we need to protect others and we need to protect ourselves as well. This is the only way that we're going to flatten that curve and get us to the point where when the vaccine comes in, it will further give us a, a, a strategy of fighting this virus off. But let me give you, a, let me give you a, another analogy to think about. You, you take one person who's been infected. He, on the average, affects two and a half other people mm-hmm. as he goes out. Mm-hmm. You think about that. So then that one person, then that other two and a half person will affect a, a, an additional two and a half people. Mm-hmm. And like that commercial say, and so on, and so on, and so on. Right. That's so why we. That's, that's why we're still dealing with it, right? This, yeah, it, it is real, man. People are not taking this serious you know and i know i'm sure that i i I wipe my handles off my door because when i'm at work i don't know who's coming and touching my doors or the mailman or whatever so i'm cleaning i'm I'm cleaning my doorknobs thoroughly you know especially the ones that have high touch traffic Right. So one part that you mentioned, you said 10 years on the vaccine. So it sounds like you're not very confident in it. One of the things that I read in an article called Reentry and Recovery are not the same thing. Uh, It's mentioned that everything that we're going through, I think people are in the expectation that this is something that's getting ready to go away right now. And the truth of the matter is, if we extrapolate everything out and an effective vaccine, we're probably looking at a new normal to a certain degree for the next three or four years. And so it doesn't mean that, you know, it's going to take three or four years for for whatever, but it, it does mean that we're going to have to make some changes to our lifestyles in order to not just change the curve, but how we deal with this pandemic. You well, you, you have anything on that? Well, let me um, start off with your first one. And when I said it, not like that I have enough confidence. No, I have very much confidence in the science community and and coming up with the viable vaccine program. Mm-hmm. I just want people to realize is that it takes time. It normally takes ten years in the past. Yeah. And but keep in mind is that we've been studying this virus for quite a long time. So I don't want people to think that, oh, my God, they just came up with this virus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in the last three or four months, and we're going to give it to them. No. What I'm saying is that the coronavirus itself, which was SARS a couple of years ago, and this COVID-19 virus right now are in the same family of coronaviruses, which have been around for years upon years. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and they've had studies, so we know in generally how it acts. But when it starts getting to more specific, this is where the study comes in. So we have all the past knowledge of coronaviruses itself. 
research when it comes to this specific virus, this is what we're studying now. Mm-hmm. So in, in lieu of trying to make a vaccine, we want to make one that's safe. So it's been actually spearheaded and it's been fast-tracked in order to go past those um, tests. But I'm, I'm just saying that for people, we still have to be cautious in our approach to making sure that this is still a safe vaccine. And it has to be safe before we still initiate or try to start vaccinating a whole general population as a whole. So we're constantly studying coronavirus in this experience, experiment. And I know Pfizer just came out with one that said that it was uh, effective 90%. And then just today, Moderna Pharmaceutical came up with their vaccine and their studies have shown that it was 94% effective. And that's, that's actually great. Mm-hmm. However, we still have, we still, now in the pre-COVID, that would be great news, but that wouldn't necessarily lend itself to, to immediately start vaccinating people. We would still be doing continuing more, T- more tests and more folks. Yeah. So in this issue, what the, the instances, what they're doing is, is that they're going ahead, they're doing their um, second stage testing, but then they have a whole bunch of different computer models that help with them in order to uh, fast track. There's a lot of different things that goes into trying to get this um, drug to the uh, to the masses. But what we can do right now, we can do what the, the social distancing, wearing a mask, and, you know, and, and hand hygiene. Because there's a whole bunch of lo- other logistics that we have to look at. Yeah, we got this, but people don't realize these particular vaccines have to be stored almost like 140 degrees minus Celsius. So it has to be very cold environment mm-hmm. than what we right now have in the doctor's office. So there's logistic barriers that we need to overcome in order to make sure we need to get this across to the United States and make sure that this virus is stable enough to be given. There's a lot of logistics that needs to be worked out. Mm. And all the, um, and luckily with the state of Michigan, they definitely have started working out the logistics. And if there indeed is a vaccine that comes out, this is our plan. And you can always go on michigan.gov to actually look at that. And it states it out clearly. And if you do also have the issue, you also can go on the uh, CDC uh, website. And they, they will actually list what their recommendations and for rolling out a vaccination program in each of the states. Okay. Thank you so much for that, Dr. Wash. I want to, I want to pivot just a little bit and this is a serious question too. And then after this question, I want to ask one more and then I want to move in a segue into something else I, that I, that I like to do in this podcast. But in the first pivot, I'd like to say, so we've had the, the first lockdown that happened in March we're getting ready to get into another lockdown. Will these lockdowns inevitably turn up more pregnancies and, and babies? We're going to have COVID babies in, in uh, this month, the next month. <laughs> hey, you know what? When you're bored, guess what you have? It's the only activity that you normally have. So, cheek and tongue, you know, cheek and tongue with that, but uh, there very well could be a possibility of increase. Like of a, a baby boom, 
you know, we call the COVID baby boom. The better word, the better use of that word is quarantine boom. Yeah, there it is. There it is. There it is. So uh, the last question I'm going to have on this uh, topic, and then I'd like to move into something else is, so when I look, when I'm watching TV at, at night, and I'm looking at the uh, the news, and they have those reported numbers. So it'll say, you know, it'll have how many uh, people who were sick, who um, came in and tested positive, COVID cases, and then it'll also say COVID deaths. And then I see an, an asterisk by the deaths, and then it'll say, you know, so it might say 26 additional deaths added, uh, which were identified during a vital records review uh what do what do you think that what does that mean i simply mean it's just our public health records mm-hmm. you know this is considered like any other communicable disease is reportable so just as hiv is reportable just as to tuberculosis people who get uh, tuberculosis that's uh reportable people who get syphilis that is a reportable disease that has to be reported to your local health department. And the same with this um, COVID N19 virus. That is reportable. Any and all people who are on labs who result a positive test are legally bound to report that to their local um, uh, health um, department and as well as whether it's the local or whether it's the Michigan or whether it's the state uh, health department, and that gets recorded in their vital records. Thank you for that. Thank you uh, so much, uh, Dr. Wash, on on everything COVID. I truly appreciate that, and so do my listeners. It's a and we've got a long way to go, so we all have got to uh, hanker down and get ready. Uh, for this next, and I, I believe I like you believe we can do it. You know, I think I think we have everything at our fingertips to to make this happen. I do feel for those businesses, uh, those restaurants, but I also believe that this is a an opportunity for us collectively to start to think differently about commerce altogether and and how we. I, I, how we market whatever it is that we're selling because we've figured it out before. So I, main, so, yeah, and the main thing we have to do is try to get that uh, infection rate down below uh, 3%. If we can get it down below 3%, man, then uh, the infection rate, we can function and get back to what we feel is normal. And it has to be consistently. Because, see, you know, and, 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 and I, before we move on, to, I know you have another uh, segment that you want to do. I just want to say, too, is that we have these things, being able to contact traces. Mm-hmm. And so it is hard to contract, uh, contact trace something if the infection rate is so high mm-hmm. because people are just constantly getting infected. You don't have that many people to be able to do it. But if you get the infection rate down so low, then we can start having contact traces to when each disease break out we're able to do that, and that's what they do with mostly all communicable diseases. It's like syphilis, syphilis, like syphilis, like HIV. Mm-hmm. But at this point in time, this thing is rapidly infecting people, and is much deadlier of a virus than we are taking. Uh, that we are, you know, and we're thinking about acknowledging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Before we leave, I just wanted to say I know 
you know, you probably don't know this, but it wasn't 16 years. It's actually 20 years, man. <laughs> 21 years. 21 years. Okay. All right. I I was all right. Well, I figured. Um, you know, I know you're not. I know you're not. Uh, like you said, you you said you're 35, but I think you're a little bit older than 35. So. <laughs> 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 so with just that a little bit, man. Just, a little bit. just a little bit well the yeah. the next segment uh of this podcast and i i'm so appreciative that you that you do this this is kind of like my signature thing is uh, i like to read a portion of an african-american author and get uh the insight of someone else about it and so this isn't anything about medicine. It's not about in the field of medicine, but there was this a book uh, titled Enough by a man named Juan Williams. He wrote it in 2006. Uh, when he wrote it, it was a kind of a controversial piece. And uh, there were some things that I think he was pitted against Bill Cosby about some of the stuff that was stated in the book. And when I read it, it's been a while since I read it, but I, I pulled out this one piece for Dr. Wash to tell me his thoughts about. But when I read it initially, it's it's some truth in here, and then it's some other things that I believe are not necessarily indicative of the trajectory of African Americans in America. So he starts off by saying, so how did we end up in this situation? Black leaders have always risen to the occasion in the past. And in far more desperate situations, why does the talent bench seem so thin today? One key here is that nearly 40 years after Reverend King's death, the best black talent do not have civil rights leadership as their chief ambition. Strong black intellects and personalities are leaders in media, Richard Parsons, the head of Time Warner, and Mark Whitaker, editor of Newsweek, securities firms such as Stanley O'Neill of Merrill Lynch, global corporations, Kenneth Chenault of American Express, Ann Fudge of the public relations firm Young and Rubicom, academic institutions, Ruth Simmons, Kurt Schmokey, Henry Louis Gates, Ben Carson, religious organizations, Floyd Flake and T.D. Jakes, and national politics, Eleanor Holmes Norton, Arthur Davis, Barack Obama, and Colin Powell. That leaves the civil rights leadership of today in older hands, the Jesse Jacksons and Julian Bonds, people who made a name for themselves in the 1960s, and they are still fighting the battles of the 1960s. Then the latecomers such as Al Sharpton, whose contributions is to mimic the aging leaders. Neither the old timers nor their pale imitators recognize that national politics has changed and black people have changed. Hell, white people as well as Hispanics, Asians, and other immigrants have changed. Yet, the black leadership is fighting the old battles and sending the same signals even as poor black people are stuck in a rut and falling further behind in a global economy. So what do you think about that, Dr. Wash? Well, you know, 
First of all, what I'm going to say with this is that I'm going to uh, eat the meat and I'm going to spit out the bone. Okay. 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 There's some things in here that I can agree with. There's some, there's some other things that I I don't agree with. But let me say this. First of all, when we, when we talk about um, revolution and, and organization as far as it comes to community activism, we, we have to look at you're always going to have to have somebody that's going to take the uh, mantle. You know, uh, activism does not lead to change unless we got young people who are engaged. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and this all comes from us as older people having to pass, be able to pass that baton. Not because I said I need for you to go out, but I need for you to get into the mindset to understand where we have come from. And we've done our older people, which means our generation before us, then the 60s, have done a great job in pushing forward the so-called black agenda as it relates to civil rights. Mm-hmm. But we did such a horrible job and instilling that in our kids. Because one, we were in, a, uh, back in the 60s, we were in a um, an era of community, you know, sticking together, you know, fighting a single cause. But as that cause starts to get rectified and more rights starts to be, to be, um, be gained and attained by us, our activism trailed off in the 70s and we became more individual. So it became this individualism. And what I mean by that, you know, well, I don't never want my child to go with what I want. I fought so that they can have a better life. Mm-hmm. And yes, we gave them a better life. But we never assigned a value to that better life. Mm-hmm. And it's just the same, it's the same way there's been an evolution of our blacks in general. We have the slaves. Oh my God, the slaves. I want to be free. I want to be free. And that's all they longed for was freedom. So they had that one thing because they didn't want their child to be born a slave. Mm-hmm. They fought for that. Yep. And they continue to fight for that. You know, they continue to strive for that, you know. And we need to start assigning value to those things. And that needs to be something that needs to be preached upon all of us. I, I told... And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm just talking about us as black folks talking to our kids and our young ones. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the politics and mm-hmm. the economics because there's a whole different other thing that comes into it that has caused what Juan Williams has called the destruction of activism, if that's what I'm thinking, mm-hmm. throughout um, history. Yeah. I'm talking about in order to keep it alive, we need the youth to take the mantle. We need to assign value to that and let them know how important it was to our culture, to our history, and to our future. You know, and this is something that I, I, I've always felt strongly about. Mm-hmm. And I and 
and I and I just hope that we can one day be able to teach that and continue to teach that to our younger generation because now you know a lot of them don't even you know they make a mockery out of things that happened in the past they write they trivialize everything yeah and we shouldn't let them trivialize history that people died for right the one thing that we were given was the right to vote and it has shown volume in this election what the power of the black vote is mm-hmm. you know and we need to keep that activism going alive and i tell one thing and if you and in terms of politics if you look at reason why uh, obama was so successful in office that he was a community um yes yes so he got things first done in his community with such a small budget and look what he was able to do when he had the budget of the united states of america so he got the affordable care act passed if that's not community activist at its best i don't know what it is i so I, people have to realize that and yeah. what he had with that was education in terms of being a lawyer a lawyer who specialized in constitutional law so if you look at that he was able to read in addition to have all his other experts and come up with uh affordable care act that was going to pass the muster in the supreme court that all starts from activism yeah so that all started from him being a young person so we need to continue that we need to assign value in that yes yes i i agree so the one thing I'd like to say to uh, Mr. Williams about this whole piece is so you can have uh, advances in one place and you'd not uh, be disparaging to others uh, in the other arena. Because as he says, the black leadership is fighting the old battles still uh, from the 60s. If I read a piece from James Baldwin and I read a piece from Dr. Martin Luther King uh, on this podcast before. And the, the piece that I read from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was written in the 60s, and so was James Baldwin. Baldwin's piece was in 1963. And in both of those pieces, they exclusively, explicitly talked about police brutality. And the police brutality that they, that they lifted as a problem was not videotaped at that time. This was in the 60s. This is just black people talking to other black people about how they have been been treated. And as I read those pieces, I I could have those pieces could have been published in 2020 and it would have been exactly the same. So when I say that and also uh, when we think about vo- the Voters Right Act, uh, Voters Right Acts uh, that are being re- uh, repealed. So. Yes, we have quite a few people in his piece that he that he lifts. And I'll say that we've done a a grave injustice uh, in our history books in America to lift any of these people because uh, 50 percent of them I've never heard of. And that and that's because if with them doing extremely well things in those areas, we're not talking about uh, in in our spaces that. Black people have been able to do great things. The one thing that we 
highlight more than anything is our, our athletes and media. And so these are all people who are extremely intelligent. Uh, if you're running Merrill Lynch and the editor of Newsweek and uh, the head of Time Warner magazine, uh, that means that you have uh, done some exceptional things in your life. But we haven't lifted those things nearly enough to, to tell each other, not just the black community, but white community, that we are uh, capable enough. So for me, I'm saying, yes, we've made a lot of gains, but in many ways, we're still fighting the old battles of the 1960s. Poor black people are still in a rut. There's still a digital divide. There's still inequity in access, as you talked about with the coronavirus and other uh, physical ailments. We, we're, not, we're not there yet. There's so much more for us to do, and we don't have to we don't have to throw stones like it's just so much stuff that we can do. Uh, and I'm I'm really disappointed in Mr. Williams 20, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It's just I wish I had a chance to talk to him because I think I could get him to at least see. Yes. 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 Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Dave. Hold on, Dave. So you said that George Bush gave these faith-based uh, institutions money. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Let me let me finish this because I I think I I think you have a different approach to what I add, what I say to it because um, George Bush did give the faith base uh, as well as historically black colleges, but if you allow uh, Donald Trump to tell that story. He's saying that he was the first, and I, that's what I, that's what I was that's where I was going with that was 
You know, yeah, yeah I want I you know. to say, yeah, I he gave to the face. Talking about <laughs> you know, I had to come I back that to was him. The last thing, man. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to. I didn't want to take you from your point. I definitely love it. I appreciate it, brother. Uh, I've definitely kept you on the line entirely too much. Um, 
But I want to end by saying that uh, the work that you're doing, I truly appreciate it. We all do. You are essential above and beyond coronavirus and, and this pandemic. What you do is uh, greatly appreciated in the field of medicine. I've been there uh, as your friend through uh, the times when you were getting ready for this wonderful calling. I'll call it not a job, not a career, but a calling. And uh, I can definitely uh, attest to it being something that is near and dear to your heart, much more than a paycheck. It's who and what you are. You believe in wanting to help people. I think that's part of the reason why we are such good friends. We help people in different ways, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we like to help people. So um, thanks so much for coming on. I'd love to have you back uh, in the next ses uh, season when we, I'd love to do something a little bit different. Uh, I wanted to get everybody's uh, point of view. Your, I wanted everybody to get your uh, views about what was going on with this coronavirus to see if we can dispel some of these myths. And so the one thing I can say for sure in summary is that uh, Dr. Wash says that um, the things that the CDC has mentioned, doc, uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, wear a mask and social distance. And uh, we've got some holidays coming up. We'd like you to stay safe. So um, if, if you can, go ahead and, and have uh, Thanksgiving with the people that are in your own pod, uh, that are in your own household, uh, and um, Zoom with the other family members or Microsoft Teams, Google Meet, whatever it is that you do. Call them on the phone. Tell them you love them uh, so that we can start to uh, get this infectious rate down because it's entirely too high. Did I get that right, brother? Man, you did a wonderful job in summarizing everything that we talked about over the last six months, man. I, this has been quite a, a, a enjoyable experience for me, man, and I, I, I thank you immensely for having me here on Say It Live. Well, thank you too, brother. God bless. Take care of yourself, and I will be talking to you soon.